Father's Day is always a day that I look forward to, not only because my wife and children always have me a way of making me feel like I'm really quite an important person, but because it provides the opportunity to speak to dads. I wasn't going to do that today because of the series that I've been preaching through the churches of Revelation, but the Holy Spirit just somehow wouldn't let me turn away from this subject today. And a couple of times during the week, he kind of awakened me in the night, and I decided it important to bring a Father's Day message. So that's what I want to do. You might open your Bible to that uh, fifth and sixth chapter of Ephesians. And then I'm going to read one verse from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And then that fourth verse, which we have already read a couple of times in the service, fathers do not exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to anger, as some translations have it. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He came into my study one day Obviously, very filled with emotion. I noticed the tears in his eyes. He sat there for a number of moments, unable to speak. And finally, I said to him, What's the matter, Dad? Is it your son again? That question was the catalyst to release a knot of pent-up emotion and anguish in his heart. And for a number of moments, he just sobbed and sobbed, and the tears flowed down his face. We had a time of prayer, and when he had gained his composure, he finally poured out his story of how he and his son had had a real round the night before. And here he was, ashamed, defeated, full of anxiety, hopelessness, and despair. As he poured out his story, he said, When I finally had him whipped, he turned on me. And he kept saying, I hate you. I hate you. I want to see you dead. That's a rather ugly story to tell on Father's Day. But I tell it because, if not in degree, at least in kind, that story is being lived out in literally thousands of homes in America today. And it's being lived out far more often than we'd like to admit in Christian homes. There have been few times in recorded history when it has been more obvious 
that young people are in rebellion. They have anger in their hearts. There's a cauldron seething underneath. And it's exploding. Crimes of violence, for example, such as armed robbery, assault, beatings, murders, rapes, are increasing out of the lives of young people in many of our major cities by as much as 30 to 35 percent every year. These are crimes of rage and of anger for the most part. The measure of this hostility is shown by everything from the length of, the, of their hair to the tightness of their jeans. The fact that young people are in revolt, runaways to the dropout centers of the city are not just a small matter anymore. And it's happening with increasing frequency across the length and breadth of our land. Experimentation with marijuana is almost uh, the everybody does it thing in the campuses. The sexual experimentation, the drinking, the involvement with other drugs are all picturing something of this rebellion. And despite the American Cancer Society efforts to give out the word about the dangers of cigarette smoking, and the message seems to be coming across to adults who are beginning to give up the habit, while at the same time, children, young people are taking it up with a vengeance. This problem of revolt is becoming so serious that people who care are greatly alarmed. Dr. Jack Wurtson, who has spent his whole lifetime ministering to young people at a pastor's meeting that I attended not too long ago, said, quote, if we do not have a spiritual awakening among the youth of America, we're ruined as a nation. But now let's back off for a moment and just ask ourselves, why is all of this revolt? so obvious in our cultural setting today. We'd like to blame it upon the times in which we live. And some Christian parents will quote such texts as say that one of the marks of the last days is that children are going to be disobedient to parents. And doubtlessly this is a day in which Satan is trying to influence young people to revolt and to rebel, but all of the blame cannot be there. Some of us would like to put the blame upon the educational system and some of the professors and learned people who are somehow communicating to our young people that they need to cast off the old and lay hold of new it's the age of revolution. Others say it's the problem of our society 
that young people are seeing the hypocrisies and the inequities of the social structure, and they're rebelling and striking out against it. Still others would blame the church and say that those of us that know the Lord are not communicating to our young people the spiritual values that are meaningful and exciting to their lives. And therefore, they're just in rebellion. Now, all of these probably have some significance in this age of rebellion. And certainly part of the problem, the young people have to accept themselves as being responsible for it because the word of God doesn't give us ever license to simply blame our rebellion and our anger upon someone else. But after we've said all of this, I'm sure that we have to come back to our scripture text today. And there we have to see that a major part of the problem may well be right in the home, where fathers are urged not to provoke their children to anger. And that word in the plural, translated father, can very well apply to both mother and father, the parents. We are given by God a very awesome responsibility to be the kind of parents that communicate to our children values and principles and attitudes and a way of life that enables them to adjust and change and become creative and useful persons. This is where the most disastrous kind of revolt is born. When it, when it happens and when it originates because of the home and because of the values that were not communicated there, because it's in the home that the deepest meanings of life are lived out. And when we feel cheated in those areas of life, then the rebellion often goes very deep. In my years of ministry, I've counseled scores and scores of teenagers. And with but few exceptions, I've discovered that most of the trouble of their emotionally distressed lives is because of, of um, bad relationships in the family, because of a lack of communication between the parents. And yes, perhaps as our text suggests today, even dads who have made their kids mad. And sometimes the anger doesn't come out in explosive rage. It comes out in hurt and emotional disturbance. Now this morning, I'm going to approach this subject, I suppose you would say, from somewhat of a negative approach, trying to speak about some of the things that make children angry, that make them revolt, that cause them to suffer parental hurt. But what I'm really doing in saying that is not to 
lay a guilt trip upon us, but rather to, to somehow challenge and motivate that the positive things that you can do as a parent will be very much upon your heart as you exercise the responsibility and privilege of being a dad. And so let's look this morning. What is it that can cause a father to provoke his child to wrath or to anger? And the inverse of this, of course, is what you can do to rear a child to become the kind of young person that you want him or her to be. First of all, when you don't communicate that you love and accept your child. Let me say it again. What will cause a child, a young person, to be injured and to revolt in anger? When dad or mother, for that example, doesn't communicate that you love and accept your child. Look at verse 28 and 29 of that fifth chapter again. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever yet hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Now this verse, these verses declare the great importance that we have to demonstrate love toward our wives, fathers, because they're part of us. And we're to love them and communicate love just as we would take care of and communicate love to our own selves. But if our wives are to be loved, how much more important it is for us to love our own flesh and blood, those that have come to be our children and to live in our home. We must get across the message that we love them. The Bible demonstrates just countless numbers of times that the human personality has to know that it's accepted and that it's loved. And if any person doesn't receive that, then injury and harm of immeasurable amount comes to that person. That's why God has made it so plain in his word that he loves us. And none of us can ever say that we're without love. God has said, when mother and father forsake us, when they don't come through, the Lord takes us up. He loves us. He communicates the fact that he loves us. Now, you may say to me today, well, pastor, that's one area in which I certainly don't fail my children. I love my kids. I really love them. I'd die for them. I dare to say that 
Probably every dad here would say that. But that's not the real issue that's involved in this point. The issue is, is the message coming through? Is your child understanding? Is he hearing that you love him? Or is he feeling that you've set a certain standard for him? And that if he doesn't measure up to that standard, he feels that he's failed and in that failure that he's rejected, that he's not loved. That's what oftentimes comes through. No one doubts the fact that a parent loves his child. But many, many times, the child never gets the message. Warren Wiersbe, in his book on Ephesians, tells about um, uh, the practice that he has when he goes to a church. He always gives his secretary a list of the names of people that no matter where he's at, whether he's in conference, whether he's counseling someone or in a staff meeting, that if the people on this list call him, he's to be interrupted and the calls to go through to him. And he said at the very top of the list, he always writes the name of each one of his children and his wife. He wants them to know that no matter when they want to talk to him, that they can get through to him. After he had spoken about this to um, a group of young people as he was talking about the subject of prayer, and he had said that the Heavenly Father is one that we can get in touch with at all times, um, a young person came up after that illustration and said, would you adopt me? He said, I can never get through to my dad. And tears came to his eyes. And he said, I need him so much. What was he saying? He needed communication from his dad, that his dad really loved him. Now, what are ways that fathers can communicate love? Let me just suggest a few of them to you today. And I hope you'll jot them down and think about them. And perhaps you'll come up with some more. But these ought to be right at the top of your list. First of all, take time to listen to your children when they want to talk to you. Many times parents communicate that they only want to listen to their children when they're ready to listen. But the time that you communicate love is when you put down the paper when that child comes with something that he wants to tell you, no matter how incidental it may seem. You put down the paper and you turn on your personal amplifier and you listen. How many times I've heard parents complain to me that they can't talk to their kids, that their kids won't talk to them. And probably more times than we'd like to admit, the reason that happens is we've trained our children 
that we really aren't interested in talking to them about the things that are important to them. And that communication can come through when our children are very young if we don't listen to them. And listening is wonderful communication of love. A second way that a father can take time to love is when you praise and compliment your children. Every dad had ought to have it the goal of his life to say some word of compliment, some word of encouragement to his child, every one of his children, as long as they're living in your home every day. It can be a very small thing, but something that encourages, something that makes you think that that child of yours has important self-worth. I asked a father who was being counseled if he ever praised his children. He thought about it a few moments. He was thinking particularly of his one son that he was having problems with. He says, frankly, I can't find anything about him to praise. He dresses sloppy. He never takes care of his room. His hair is always unkempt. He slouches. And I shared with him that that just shows how desperately he needs a sense of self-worth. And he needs to have communicated to him that, that his father has confidence in him. How long has it been since you set that as a pattern of your life as a parent? To really communicate praise, encouragement to your children. Do it often. And love comes flowing through from that. Another way you can communicate love is plan times when you share and communicate with your children. I have to work at this all the time. It's so easy just to move in and out of the household as a father that's busy with many duties. Never take time to really talk to your kids. Times when every word of your attention in your life is centered upon that person. To find out what he's really thinking how he's feeling, and uh, find out about those things that, that uh, are important about his future. It's amazing how many young people don't know what they're going to do in life, don't have any idea. And many times one of the reasons that they're so adrift is that dad has never taken time to really talk about that whole matter with the child and explore it with him. Another thing that communicates love is when you begin very young to talk about things that really bother kids. That communicates love when you talk with them on their level about the things that trouble them the most deeply. Death is one of the things that troubles many children and young people's lives. And the most important person to talk to a child 
about the Christian view of death is the parent. And there are times that uh, in life that always lend themselves to, to talking about things like that. Maybe it's an accident that happens to somebody in the church, like happened to Dennis's brother this week. And the family's praying and thinking about things like that. Or someone in the family has died. And that child needs to know about the subject of death. And needs to know that Jesus said that, that the person who lives and believes in him never dies. And what a comfort it is to a child to be assured that uh, when he puts his trust in Jesus Christ, that he's absent from his body and present with the Lord. Talk about such things as frustrating relationships and quarrels with playmates. Those aren't just little insignificant things in the life of a child, but if you take time to listen and think it through with the child on his level, he begins to get the message that you love and understand where he hurts. And then, of course, no one should talk about communicating love in the matter of speaking without talking about sexual education. All of us know that one of the strongest drives that God has put within the human body and the human personality is the sexual appetite and drive. And little children experience something of that drive and curiosity at a very young age. And yet how many, many times in counseling people that are to be married, and I ask them if mom and dad ever talked to them about the sexual significance of life. And more times than, than I can remember, they've said no, not at all. You can communicate great love by talking about such deep and important areas of life as that. And then finally, tell your children that you love them. They need to hear it, not just occasionally, but often. And call them by name. I love you, Judy. I love you, John. You think that's something that grown-up sons wouldn't want to hear from dad? If you think that, you have a very wrong understanding of the need of the human heart. Fathers have to communicate that they love their kids. And if that message doesn't come through, it's part of that of provoking them to anger. But I must hurry on. A second way that we uh, communicate uh, to our children in a manner that causes anger is when you don't discipline your child in love. It's interesting in this text, verse 4, where we're told to bring them up in the training or the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that it's the same word that in Hebrews chapter 12 same root word from the Greek that is translated discipline. Discipline. What an important word that is. And how children need it. 
Uh, I heard uh, this little story. A doctor friend told it to me. Uh, some of you young people may not remember that it uh, wasn't too long ago that cars were called uh, the rod or the hot rod. And this uh, young fellow came to his dad and he said, Dad, I've just discovered that you're the problem. You're causing all of my problems. Oh, you have, said the father. How's that? He said, well, I read it in the Bible. Now he really had his father's curiosity. And he said, where did you read it in the Bible? It says, well, it's because you won't give me the car often enough. Oh, he said, now that can't be. Yes, sir. It says right in Proverbs, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. <laughs> well, he had a hold of a good verse, but he had the wrong application to it. The necessity of discipline in the life of a child gives him security and strength. But that discipline has to be administered, first of all, in love. Because the discipline of a father is to be the kind of discipline that God gives to you and me. And we read in Hebrews chapter 12 that whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines. One of the marks of good discipline is when it flows out of a heart that's loving, severe sometimes, because the word of God speaks about whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So it can hurt, but as long as it's coming from a heart of love, it brings security and strength to that child. It also needs to be a discipline of your word. Be careful that you don't threaten your children, especially when you promise them something in discipline and then don't follow through with it. I cringe every time I see that. If a parent says, you do that and uh, you'll get a spanking and the child goes ahead and does it and mother looks the other way or dad looks the other way, that kind of discipline only makes your child angry because it's not according to truth. Children feel security and discipline. Many times when they put up all kinds of arguments trying to convince you that uh, you ought to let them do what you told them they can't do, they get great security in your saying no when they know that it's coming out of your deep sense of love and the strength of your life, their security and discipline. A third reason why that children sometimes respond in anger and are provoked to wrath is when you don't get along with his mother. That's why in our scripture text today, we read that passage in Ephesians 5 that has to do with husband and wife relationship before we came to talk about dad and child relationship. There isn't any way that we confuse our children more than when we cause this kind of inner turmoil to know that the two 
greatest people, the most important people in the life of a child can't get along together. It hurts very, very deep. Measureless impact upon the personality. And we ought to be reminded that God never asks us to do something we can't do. And parents need to know that they can love their partner. And God lays that kind of responsibility upon us. If we just by faith, no matter how many tensions are built between you, if you just determine we're going to stay together and we're going to grow in love and understanding, what a wonderful thing that brings in security to children. The final thing that can provoke a child to anger is when he fails to see the reality of God in your life. Those little words bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord are such important words. I heard over the radio just this morning uh, about Hilding Halverson, who was one day heard his um, son talking with some other boys. And like children will sometimes do, the boys were bragging about people that they knew, important people. One little boy's father knew the governor. And another little boy's father knew the mayor. And Hilding Halverson's little boy wasn't saying anything. But finally he came up with one to top them all. He says, my daddy knows God. My daddy knows God. What a tremendous statement to be able to say. Now, to be able to say that means that there's something there that is being lived out of a relationship. Not a relationship that's just go to church, but a relationship that's a part of the Father's life. He knows the Lord and he walks with the Lord. And when that happens, then the child benefits greatly. They can pick up phoniness. We don't have to tell them. They will know when it's not real. But they also know when it's real. And if we want to be a good parent, we have to be a parent that uh, rightly relates to God. Because that's where Parenthood begins, and that's what it's all about. And the role model for any child concerning God always begins with the parent and the relationship that the parent has with the Lord. Well, what kind of a father do you feel you are today? All of us know we could be better fathers than we are. That's quite a warning that Paul gives us in Ephesians and again in Colossians, not to exasperate our children. How can we be the kind of parent? First of all, you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and walk closely with him. But then once you've established your home as a Christian home and a Christian family, 
There are ways that it can be strengthened and built. You have to communicate that you love your children. How are you doing that? Do they hear you say it sometimes? Are you talking to them? Are you listening? Are you um, talking to them about those things that are important to them? Are you encouraging them? Complimenting them? Praising them? All of those things are important to communicate love. Do your children know your discipline, the strength of it, the love of it, the firmness of it, the truth of it? And what about your love for their mother? Is your relationship with your wife uh, the beautiful relationship that just causes your child to know that mom and dad really love each other? What about the area of your walk with God? Do they see that you sneak away for those times of prayer when they know that you're the primary concern of those prayer times? Are there family devotions where dad leads the way? It's important to be a dad that your children can find strength and security in. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today again for the privilege of being parents. No higher calling in all of the earth than to be a parent, and especially to take that responsibility very, very seriously. Thank you, Lord, for Father's Day, a day not only to bask in the appreciation of our families, but a day before the Lord to look seriously again at our own responsibilities. Thank you, Lord, for the fathers of our church. Thank you for those who are endeavoring with all of the devotion that they have in their hearts to be the best parent they can possibly be. Sanctify your word to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.